Good morning, and welcome to the Truth and Love radio broadcast. This program has been a part of the Mid-South for the last 70 years, faithfully overseen by the Getwold Church of Christ. Truth and Love will carry on lifting up the banner of New Testament Christianity today to the Mid-South area under the oversight of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. Please join us now as Mike Hickson opens the Bible and shares the truth in love. We receive a wide range of information on a daily basis via the internet, television, radio, the printed page. Obviously, some information that we receive is much more critical than other. If, for example, a tornado were bearing down on our city, well, we would want to know that. That would be a message that we would gladly listen to. Well, by the same token, there's some things, spiritually speaking, that we ought to consider. And in reality, there are some things that we need to hear so that we might make preparation for eternity. In our lesson today, we want to talk about the message that everyone needs to hear. I'd invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6 at verse 23. Paul writes in that context, The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In our study today, we want to begin by talking about the danger of living in sin. The second thing that we're going to discuss has to do with deliverance from living in sin. So let's just begin by talking for a moment or two about the danger of living in sin. And I guess probably the best place to start would be to discuss the problem of sin. Now, I know that there are a lot of people in the world today that would wave off the whole concept of sin and unrighteousness. Some would say, just preacher talk. Others would say, well, you know, that's just an old-fashioned, archaic message. Well, here's what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9, Paul would write, there is none righteous, no, not one. And you remember in verse 23, he would conclude, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin, of course, made its entrance into the world in the Garden of Eden. You remember back in Genesis chapter 2, God had said to the first couple, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Chapter 3 informs us that the serpent made his way into the garden deceived Mother Eve, Adam likewise taken in transgression or sin. As a result of that, man began to die physically and spiritually. From a physical vantage point, you remember they were driven from the garden, that utopian environment, prohibiting them access to the tree of life. But then spiritually, Sin separates us from God. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. As a result of man's sin in the garden, God immediately began unveiling his redemptive plan. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we are introduced to the promised seed. That promised seed was the Christ to come, the anointed one. To understand that God had a plan in place prior to the foundation of the world. Somebody might ask the question, well, why would God already have a plan in place? Well, God created us, endowing us with the ability to make choices in life. We're not robots, but rather God has given us the freedom of volition. 
And so in recognition that man would have the ability to make choices, God recognized that at some point in time, mankind would make the wrong choices, thus standing in need of redemption or a savior. And so in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, we read where John speaks of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God had a plan in place. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, immediately God began unveiling that redemptive plan. You remember in Genesis chapter 12, the Bible tells us that God called on a man by the name of Abraham who became the father of the Hebrew nation. And God said to that patriarch in the past, in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. The fulfillment of that realized in Jesus Christ. Those of us who belong to Christ, we are heirs according to that promise, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 in verse 29. So what about the problem of sin? Well, it's a universal problem, but then I would also submit to you, it is an undeniable problem. There's no way that any of us can say we haven't seen the devastation caused by sin. All you have to do is look around in the world in which we live. The wars, the strife, the envy, hatred, racism, the prejudices of life. Add to that covetousness, murder, adultery. The list could go on and on. The bottom line is, when we look around in the world in which we live, we are, we are standing face to face with the problem of sin. It's everywhere. No one is excluded. But then there is a second thought that I would want to share with you this morning or in our study today. First, the problem of sin, but secondly, the power of sin. It might be the case that we underestimate our adversary, the devil. You know, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is intent on destroying the crown of God's creation. That would be us. The devil has no regard for us, physically or spiritually. The devil's intent is to destroy. That's what he's been doing since the Garden of Eden, doing his best to separate mankind from his creator. As we contemplate the power of sin, to recognize that sin, first and foremost, blinds. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4, Paul writes concerning the God of this age, the God of this world. That would be the devil. And he said he's blinded the minds of them which believe not. The devil, is in, the devil is involved in trying to blind people from that which is right. Go back to the Garden of Eden. He sought to blind Mother Eve to the consequences of sin. He did a masterful job. No wonder the Apostle Paul would say, neither give place to the devil. Don't allow him a foothold in your life. Sin, yes, it blinds, but it also binds. I hear people sometimes talking about how they want to be free to do as they please. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They don't want any kind of restraints. They're not interested in any type of binary code, as they might say. Well, listen, let me tell you what. If you're living in sin, you are a slave. You have become a slave to that way of life. 
There are people in our world, there are people in our, in our city that are struggling with addictions. That might be alcohol, some type of chemical substance, prescription drugs, sex. I mean, there are a lot of things that people are addicted to. Well, the master behind all of that is the devil. And what the devil understands is that that will enslave people to that type of sin. When people get up in the morning and the first thing they're thinking about is a drink of alcohol, they're a slave of sin. They're a slave to alcohol. Same thing's true with some type of chemical substance. Got to have that first fix. Look, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that the devil takes people captive to do his will. Sin imprisons people. It binds people. In John chapter 8 at verse 34, Jesus said to the people of his day that those who commit sin are literally the bondservants of sin. They have become a slave to that lifestyle. Sin has the ability to imprison us. And there are times when people ask the question, is there any way that I can be set free to enjoy liberation? Well, that's, a, I think, a provoking question. One that we're going to talk about in just a moment or two. But again, the idea is that sin, number one, it blinds. Number two, it binds. And then number three, sin has the ability to belittle. How many people do you think in our world today are ashamed of how they're living? In other words, they realize their lifestyle is unbecoming to society. There are people that engage in behavior that when it's all said and done, quite frankly, is just foolish. Back in the book of Proverbs, Solomon, renowned for his wisdom, wrote many years ago, the way of the transgressor is hard. If you look at Jesus hanging on Calvary's cross, you remember there were two thieves or malefactors crucified with him. Luke said in chapter 23, verse 33, one on either side. Why do you think those men were experiencing capital punishment for crimes they had committed? Look, don't you know that those men realized, at least one of them realized that he was being punished for the deeds that he had committed? No doubt, many, many people in our world today are facing the consequences of sin. And they have been belittled by that type of a lifestyle. There is a third very key principle that we need to discuss in our study. I said a minute ago that the problem of sin, well documented, the power of sin, the fact that sin has the ability to blind, to bind, to belittle. But then thirdly, what about the payment or penalty for sin? In Romans chapter 6 at verse 23, Paul writes, The wages of sin is death, the gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus. So you have two sides of a coin. On the one side, the negative, a life of sin, the danger of living in sin. So what is the end result of choosing to live a life of sin? Well, the bottom line is it's death, eternal separation from Almighty God banished from the light of his presence forevermore. You know, it seems to me that 
the subject of hell has fallen on hard times in our country. And there are a lot of people that, you know, when you talk about hell, they just laugh it off as if it's not a reality. Well, those of us who believe the Bible and believe in, and believe in the teaching of Jesus, we understand that it is a very serious subject. Matter of fact, did you know that Jesus had more to say about the subject of hell than any other person in the New Testament? That ought to say something about the gravity of the subject. There are many warnings given in Scripture about the danger of sin, of choosing to live a life in sin. There's a law that goes all the way back to creation in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 11, Moses said in the long ago, every seed brings forth after its own kind. If you plant corn seed in the ground in the fall, or rather in the spring, you expect to reap corn. Well, from a spiritual vantage point, you can't reap, you can't sow bad seed and expect to reap a good harvest. It doesn't work that way. To understand that whatever we sow, that we will also reap. Remember what Paul said, Galatians chapter 6, be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He who, he who sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. To understand the penalty, as has been said so many times before, there is a payday someday. Fridays are special in the lives of many people. Why? Because it's payday. People work all week and they look forward to that paycheck. Listen, you don't want this kind of pay. You do not want to be separated from Almighty God. To be cast, as John said, into the lake of fire. A lake that is burning with fire and brimstone. You remember Jesus said, Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some of us have experienced pain in days gone by. And there are times in life when the pain can be so excruciating that it causes us to literally grit and grind our teeth. Well, that's kind of the picture that we have here. To understand that hell is a reality. But listen, make no mistake about it. Hell was not created for you nor for me. No, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, To those on the left hand, he will say, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus there simply telling us that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for you nor for me. There's a second thing that we need to discuss in our study. First, the danger of living in sin. As Paul said, the wages of sin is death. But now to look at the other side of the coin. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's just think for a moment or two about some of the principles associated with salvation. When you begin to sift through the scriptures and begin drawing conclusions from your reading and study, one of the things that really just leaps off the page is that the goodness of God is reflected in his love for sinful humanity. There's no way that I can minimize the love of Almighty God. The depth of his love demonstrated by the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. You remember the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that God spared not his own son, but freely delivered him up 
for us all. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Note the emphasis on the love of God. God is interested in us. Why? Because we're the crown of his creation. We have been made in his image and likeness. He is the father of our spirit, according to Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 9. God is not just interest, not only interested in us, but listen, he has invested in us. Well, how so? You remember in Romans chapter 5 at verse 6, Paul writes, When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And then look at verse 8. Paul there said that the love of God has been manifested toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No wonder when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable, his unspeakable gift. I'm not sure I can fully fathom comprehend the fact that the second member of the Godhead left the glories of heaven, came to earth, robed in human flesh, and died for me, died for us. But that's what the Bible teaches. As parents, we are interested in the plight of our children. We want them to succeed, to do well in life. And because of that, we invest in them heavily. We give them our time, our love, we provide for them direction, discipline. We want to do everything within our power to give them a good life. Spiritually speaking, God has done everything possible to provide for us a quality life. Do you remember in John chapter 10, verse 10? Jesus said in the long ago, I have come that you might have life. Now note, and have it more abundantly. There are so many people in our world today, there is a void or vacuum in their life. They're looking for contentment, happiness, satisfaction. And look, the world does not have the ability to offer genuine contentment. Well, how do I know that? Well, because Solomon, a man of renown in his day, you remember his popularity, his wisdom, his stature was of such that the Queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth, as Jesus said, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Look, this guy was something special. But as he sifted through life and began to experience the various things that life has to offer, his conclusion was that the whole summation of life, the conclusion of the whole matter was, fear God, keep his commandments. Why? This is man's all. The only one that can genuinely provide for you the peace, happiness, security, and serenity that you need is Jesus Christ. He is the one and only. So there is the goodness of God reflected in his love for sinners. And by the way, God is the very essence of love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible simply says, God is love. You remember in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, Jeremiah said on behalf of God's people, and this is God here speaking, I have loved you with an everlasting love. There will never be a time when the Lord does not love you and want what's best for you in this life. And then there is a second consideration. The grace of God is a reflection of his liberation of sinful man. Do you remember what the Bible has to say in Titus chapter 2? 
the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man. I said a minute ago that those who live in sin, that they are literally taken captive by the devil to do his will. They're in prison. They are a slave of that way of life. You remember in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul said, But God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine being delivered to you, or having been delivered to you, and being free, been made free from sin, you became the servants or slaves of righteousness. So there's the concept, freedom from a life of sin. Well, who has the ability to set you free? Only one, only one person, and the only one that I know of is Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus said in verse 32, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. In verse 36, Jesus would go on to say, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. There is freedom in Christ Jesus. Now listen, we're talking about a voluntary army. To become a child of God, that's up to the individual. We all make choices in life. Remember Joshua in the long ago said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Now he cast his lot with the Lord. But you have to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to act upon the goodness and graciousness of a loving God. In Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4, Paul said, but talking about again the provisions of Almighty God, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. He said, by grace you're saved. So to understand something about the marvelous, matchless grace of Almighty God and that liberation is enjoyed by those who turn to him. Jesus said, as recorded by Matthew in chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. From what? Sin, unrighteousness. Now, here's what we need to talk about for a moment or two. First, the principles of salvation, but secondly, the prerequisites to salvation. Are you saying then that there's something that I must do to become a child of God, to enjoy his blessings? Well, you remember, for example, in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Day, the gospel being preached for the very first time. And you remember, the Bible tells us that those who heard that word on that occasion, they were cut, pricked in the heart. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they asked this question, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So there is God's side of the redemptive plan. We can't contribute to that. The finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross, wouldn't deny that a bit. But in order for us to enjoy the provisions or blessings of salvation, then there are some things that we have to do. Number one, I would submit to you that when it comes to God's marvelous plan of redemption, first and foremost, we have to have a Bible. Now somebody might ask the question, what's so important about the Bible? Well, you remember Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. God has given us his word because he intends to profit us, to bless us. A lot of folks in the world today, they have the idea that the Bible's meant to hinder them from living the lifestyle that they so choose. Well, the Bible's not intended to hinder us or to hurt us, but rather it is intended to help us. Peter said in the long ago that God's given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In 2 Peter chapter 
1, beginning in verse 3. Now, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is God's power unto salvation. The Hebrew writer acknowledges in Hebrews 4, verse 12, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God has the ability to pierce the heart, to convict, to bring about a changed state in the lives of people. Now, we walk by faith. That's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. But here's the question. How does faith come? Oh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Now, I can know that there is a God by looking at creation. All I have to do is step outside my home, look around, and I see evidence everywhere for God, the home that you're living in. Somebody took the time to design that home and then build it. Well, here's what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 3, verse 4. Every house is built by some man. He that built all things is God. David, in the long ago, said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Creation is evidence for God. But I can't know the mind of God and the will of God separate and apart from revelation. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 4, Paul said that God would have all men to be saved, now listen to him, and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what's so important about truth? You can't separate salvation from Scripture or salvation from truth. Here's what Jesus said. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 32. I take the truth of Almighty God. I come to an understanding of what God would have me to do to enjoy His rich blessings and provisions. So I I become a person of faith, my belief in Christ. And based upon my faith in Christ, I want to demonstrate an obedient faith. So I repent of my sins. You know, Paul in Acts chapter 17, while in Athens, said to those people, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance, a change of mind, followed by a change in actions. So we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent of our sins, confess his name, and then we are buried in a watery grave of baptism. So what's so important about baptism? Well, we go back to Acts chapter 2, the day that the church began. When those people were asked, that is when the apostles were asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's exactly what Peter said. He said you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. When we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy liberation from sin. Our sins are washed away, Acts twenty-two sixteen. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We're baptized into Christ so that we might contact the blood of Christ. Here's the question. What is it that washes away my sins? Oh, it's the blood of Christ. John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, unto him who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Where did Jesus shed his blood in death? How then do I appropriate that blood? Listen to Paul, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ, and we are added to the body of Christ. We're not voted into the church, we don't join the church, but rather the Bible says that the Lord adds us to the church. On Pentecost Day, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel, verse 41. In verse 47, the Bible says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So who are in the church? Oh, the saved. Well, who are the saved? They are those who are in the church. In Ephesians 5, 23, 
Paul said that he is the Savior of the body. That's Christ. Now, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So what you're telling me is you can't be saved separate from Christ. That's exactly right. You can't be saved outside the church of Christ. That is the church that Jesus shed his blood for, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. When we obey the gospel of Christ, we enjoy forgiveness of sins. And we are endowed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, verse 3. In our lesson today, we've talked about the danger of living in sin and the possibility of deliverance from living in sin. Paul said, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I pray that you will follow what the Bible teaches. God bless. Thank you for listening today. We would love to have you visit with us at the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandridge Road, Olive Branch, Mississippi, 38654. We meet for Sunday Bible study at 9 a.m. Worship is at 10 a.m. Sunday afternoon study is at 1 p.m. Tuesday morning class, Bible class, is at 10 a.m. Wednesday evening Bible class at 7 p.m. Please visit our website, www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org.